Praise God. You can be seated tonight. In Jesus' name, I know that we are handing out tracts here for uh, the lesson. You do not have a booklet. And praise God, we're going to continue down uh, what we have been studying uh, recently up to this point. Uh, before we do that, I do have a few announcements here tonight. Uh, the, the first one being that we have the Wyoming Ladies Conference coming up next week. And so if you are a lady, uh, we would encourage you to participate and be a part of this. It is in Casper, Wyoming. Yes. The ladies meeting for tomorrow night has been postponed. Yes, Sister C has COVID, so uh, you want to stay? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it has been postponed, not because of COVID, but it has just been postponed uh, in Jesus' name. So if you are a lady, here's your opportunity to get a ladies meeting in this month. Go, go to Casper, Wyoming. It is just a Friday night and a Saturday morning, so pretty simple uh, in all reality. You could take off that afternoon and make it down to Casper in time for service that night um, after you got off work at 5 o'clock. So I would encourage you, if you are a lady, to participate and be a part of that. Uh, you can see Sister Carnahan if you have any questions about hotels or participating in that and what it might entail. I know they always come back with uh, wonderful testimonies and things that God has done. Along with that, August 20th through the 22nd is the Rocky Mountain Men's Conference for all of the men. So we have ladies and we have men. And uh, if you are a man, I would encourage you to go on this trip. There is a website there, uh, rmdupci.org slash men. If you get the church email, I just sent that out in an email before service tonight, that link there for that website. But what you will need to do is register uh, in order to attend those meetings. So you have to go on their site and register and, and pay uh, in order to go. But along with that, please let Pastor Carnahan know uh, that you're interested in attending because if we get enough men, we want to take the church van and, and have that going as well. And uh, I believe that there's quite a few that are already interested in, in wanting to go. I believe the deadline for that is either next Wednesday or the following Wednesday uh, for registration. So check that website out and make sure that you uh, do that in time if you are thinking about that. Camp on the Boulder is beautiful. Uh, you couldn't ask for a better place for a men's retreat. And so if you are a man, uh, you can go and enjoy that as well, and I would encourage you to do so. Along with that, uh, please keep Harmon and his mother in prayer. He is going to be traveling back to Urshan this Monday, and so uh, we have him this weekend, but he will be leaving us very soon to go back to college again, and we want to pray for him as he drives and travels back and uh, pulls these all night and all these sort of things that college kids do. Uh, so we, we, got to, got, we, we have to make sure that he's okay and uh, pray for him in that in Jesus' name. So tonight we are going to continue our lessons and actually conclude this series about talking uh, about standing in liberty and the things that give us liberty inside of this life, things that will allow us to have freedom and, and truly inside of the kingdom of God. You know, a lot of times we think that liberty comes from having a constitution like the United States where it says y'all are free, you can run around, have freedom, and not worry about what you say, or what you do, you, you can uh, go to the places you want in the middle of the night and all these sort of things. And yeah, that is a form of, of freedom, uh, but it's more of a physical freedom than anything else. And so we, as Christians, we desire not only that physical freedom, and it is kind of nice, but what we truly desire is spiritual freedom. That in God's kingdom, in working for him, him, we want to have liberty inside of our spiritual lives. And so what I'm saying with that is that even if you live in a country like
like China where you're super oppressed and you do not have those freedoms, you can still live in liberty in Jesus Christ. You can still live in liberty and have spiritual liberty inside of that country. Brother Kilman, uh, one of the things he told me, he told me, believe me, if, if you all thought that that was a lot that he presented here in our services, I drove with him for three hours and tried to take that all into my mind and all that sort of thing. But one thing that did stick with me that he spoke about was the church in China. And he was saying the church there is still growing at an exponential rate. He said the biggest church in the world is in China right now, and there's hundreds of millions of people that are beginning to see the revelation of Jesus Christ and want to come into that. It is insane what is going on inside of that nation there. Uh, and, and that's... Um, Yes, 200 million in China. And you think about that, that in a physically oppressed country that does not have physical liberties, that the liberty of the spirit is reigning on high and moving in the midst of that country. So the power of God can absolutely break through barriers even when we might think that we are stuck in a place or we're boxed into a corner where we're not going to be able to get out of that. God can still come and impact us and move in powerful ways and it's wonderful to have the liberty of his presence. And so tonight we're going to speak about bearing one another's burdens. And I, I pray tonight that this message again would be impactful, that it would touch your life. Uh, if you're like me, this is something that's convicting, uh, something that we have to work on as individuals about working with one another, bearing one another's burdens, and encouraging each other to move forward. And this is another way that we can stand in liberty in Jesus Christ. So let's look at our scripture tonight in Galatians chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2. It says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest thou also be tempted. Kind of some multiple points here that are, are very powerful. But it's saying that if somebody around you, a church member, is overtaken in something that they have done wrong and you know they have done wrong, then it's saying that somebody else who is spiritual should begin to restore somebody, come alongside them and tell them that it is okay to begin to repent for what they have done and it is okay to, to, to walk away from the thing which they have done and begin to repent and seek God and try to restore their life unto, unto that place that God desires it to be. It's asking us to do that in a spirit of meekness or another word that we use for that sometimes is humility, but in a way that we're not just blasting that person all over social media to, to put their face in side of the coals but we're willing to come alongside them and say you know you have messed up you have done something wrong however I want to help carry this burden alongside you and help you become restored in the presence of Jesus Christ and it, that last little bit there says consider yourself because you don't want to fall into the same thing that they have fallen into but also that is a bit of warning there that if we do go and begin to blast it all over social media and try to get this person to feel super terrible about the thing they have done, then we are putting ourselves in a place where we're just as guilty as that person as well. And you'll see that tonight in this lesson. I know this is the brief summary, but it says this, to bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Come alongside somebody, bear their burden with them, and so fulfill the law of of Christ. The scripture is interesting here because it's not talking about creating a mutual agreement and then taking on a burden with somebody else. It's talking about a burden that somebody else has brought 
and you being willing to step in and say, look, I know you have brought this burden. I had no part in creating it. However, I'm going to help you carry it so that you can get through it and draw closer to the kingdom of God. If you want to live in true freedom and liberty, being able to do this is essential inside of our lives. I don't know anybody in here that is like this, but it's the same sense that, you know, we've talked about the Pentecostal police or those that see something wrong inside of somebody and they immediately want to go and address that issue inside of their lives and begin preaching and speaking those things. And sometimes that, that does have to happen. However, for the most part, it is up to us to not judge or not see those things or not work with those things, but just say, God, I want to come alongside this person and help them through the issues or the matters that might be going on inside of their life. I know that's a lot at the beginning here, but we'll, we'll speak about it as we go through this lesson tonight. So let me introduce you to this, somebody who, a character that was inside of the Bible. It says, the weight was almost too much to bear. He could not believe that after making such a bold statement to his teacher's face, he could bend under the pressure of a few simple accusations. But it had happened. Peter had denied Jesus just like Jesus said he would. The rooster crowed and Peter had ran. He ran until he found a place all alone and there he wept bitterly. He cried himself to sleep, unable to move under such a weight of condemnation. He heard the news of Jesus' sentence and dared not go near the hill where he was to be crucified. After several days of hiding and rehearsing his failures over and over in his mind, Peter was finally able to push himself back into society. All he could do was return to what was familiar to him. He went fishing. However, having been called to preach and spread the gospel to all who would hear, his old lifestyle of fishing was not where it was supposed to be. Perhaps that is why, once again, he fished all night, but he caught nothing. The next morning, Peter and his friends noticed a man cooking a fish on the shore. The man called out to the fishermen and asked if they had caught anything. He, told that, he then told them, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you will get some fish. Then Peter knew it was Jesus. Jumping into the water, Peter quickly swam and ran to the Savior. Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. Peter looked Jesus in the eyes and said, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. The conversation continued as Jesus began a work of restoration in the heart of the one who would become Pentecost preacher. Jesus became the greatest example of Apostle Paul's admonition. In another uh, translation here, the scripture says, Dear brothers and sisters, of another believer overcome by the same sin, you or is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in the way, in this way, you uh, obey the law of Christ. And what he is telling us here is something that shows us this story, the power and the impact of Peter's failure, yet Jesus was able to come alongside him and restore him to become one of the greatest preachers that we have ever known inside of our, our movement and inside of the Christian Bible that we read. It's incredible to think that Peter was somebody who denied Jesus three different times and was in a place where he might have been able to speak out and, and say something and do something about what was happening there, yet he still did not stand for Jesus and spoke against him three different times on these three different occasions while Jesus was being put on trial. 
Still, Peter was in a place where Jesus had called him Satan at a particular time, yet Peter allowed these things to take him to, to this place where he was fishing. And even in the midst of all that, he still allowed God to come in and restore what God's purpose was for his life. And so I'm saying all that tonight to tell you that no matter what you have done in your past or no matter the things that you have faced or no matter the, the issues that you have caused or no matter the, the places that you have put people or done horrible things to, to others around you, no matter what you have done, there is still a place of restoration where you can come back and say, God, I want to reach you. I want to repent from these things that I have done. I want to be baptized inside of your name and dismiss every one of these sins that has been in my past. And believe me, if we are willing to take those steps towards Jesus, he is willing to reach down towards us and ask us the same question that he asked Peter of, do you love me? Do you love me? And that is such a humbling, humbling question when we think about it, when we have done so much wrong, yet Jesus is willing to ask us, in loving each and every one of us again when we are willing to repent and draw closer to who he is. So it says this in our first point tonight. It says, building trust is necessary when working to help others carry their burdens. Building trust, it's necessary when working to help others carry their burdens. Using discretion is imperative when others are confessing personal matters to you. Has anybody in here had somebody confess a personal matter to you before? A few of us, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A few of us have had those personal matters that are confessed to us. And we all understand, you know, that trust is necessary for somebody to begin to open up to you. It's necessary to take somebody to the place where they might begin to say, hey, I'm struggling with something behind this closed door and I need help with it. I'm not just talking about people inside of the church here, but I'm also talking about coworkers or people who you work with, that if they see that you show up to work every single day and you have a laundry list of gossip that you're going to begin to tell them about everybody else inside of the workplace, then they aren't going to be willing to begin to disclose to you maybe some hurts or things that are going on inside of their life. But the way that we build trust is we show people that we are willing to keep their private matters secret between us and them. And potentially if we, we you know, like it, I always tell people that, you know, when we're talking about these things, I'm also going to talk to our pastor about some of these things. So he can pray with us and he can seek God with these things as well. But we must understand that we must build trust with people around us. And the only way we do that is by showing people that they can trust us inside of those matters. This gives a story here, an example of a minister uh, or a preacher inside of a, a church who was driving home one night after a service and he pulled up next to somebody else who was a preacher inside of that church and as they both stopped at a red light, he was about ready to honk the horn inside of his car to wave at that preacher that was next to him and that preacher reached down and grabbed a cigarette and put it up to his mouth and began to light it and smoke that cigarette right next to this guy. He quickly realized that this preacher was not somebody who he thought he was. This guy was actively involved in smoking cigarettes at this particular point in time. And so this man, he, he, he was going to call the pastor right away and begin to say, Pastor, you know, I'm struggling with this. I don't know what this guy's doing. And he's smoking these cigarettes. And that was his first instinct to just kind of begin to tell the world that this preacher that was inside of the church was doing things wrong. 
However, he began to pray and he felt conviction and he felt that he needed to just begin to pray for this person as he pulled off the road. So he pulled to the side of the road and instead of immediately calling people, he began to pray for this preacher over and over and over again. It was that weekend when they were in a meeting with the pastor, that preacher and the other preacher and the pastor, that the one began to break down in front of the pastor and say, Pastor, I've been struggling with something inside of my life. I've been struggling with this addiction to nicotine and I need some help to overcome it. And it was at that moment that they began to pray and the pastor was able to come alongside this man and they began to restore him into something that was newer at this particular point in time. But the point of that story is that if this first preacher was to immediately begin to call people and begin to tell on him and begin to post it on social media and all these sort of things, then it might have discredited the trust that began to build between these two. I mean, certainly at some point he would have needed to tell his pastor, but at this particular point, it was not necessary to begin to go and and begin to, to, to just tell all the sins of the world and these things that are going on around him. We must be ready to begin to build trust with people around us and hear them out in their particular needs or their issues that are going on inside of their lives. We must know that sometimes God will reveal things about others to us that we can intercede in prayer for them about, just like Abraham did for Lot. However, this is not a time that we begin to gossip or a time when we begin to say, God, thank you for giving me that because now I'm going to be the social media star and everybody in the church is going to follow me because now I have some beef on somebody else that's around me. If we're going to step forward as a church and step forward as apostolics, then we have to begin to build trust with one another, that there are some things that aren't meant to be posted all around us in social media and spread to the gossip chains around us. And even inside of our workplaces, there are co-workers who have came to us, who have trusted us with deep matters. And if we are to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we cannot afford to begin to gossip and tell everybody else about those matters that this person has confided inside of us. But what a powerful testimony if they begin to confide in us and we can present to them Jesus Christ and they begin to see his restoring power and the restoration that he can do through baptism and repentance and and through deliverance of sin. And if we are willing to present that to them instead of saying, well, you're a heathen and I can no longer be around you or you're a heathen and I can no longer do these things because of what you have just admitted to me, then we can begin to reach the people that are around us in their lives and begin to touch them in the places that they are at as Jesus has called us to do and so we should never discuss matters of a private nature openly or with others I know that you're maybe sitting here today and you're saying well I'm just a saint inside of the church and you're the minister up front behind the platform and Pastor Carnahan is the pastor of the church and you all are the ones that are required to keep these things in secret. You know, I, I sit out here and nobody's ever going to talk to me. They're never going to relay things to me. They're never going to uh, resound this stuff off of me, so I don't need to worry about this. Why are you speaking to me about this today? What I'm telling you is that if you want to live in liberty, part of that is reaching souls. And part of reaching souls is that you're going to see things that maybe you don't necessarily like about people. You're going to see things in their hearts that maybe begin to disgust you or you might see things inside of their lives and you begin to think, man, there's so many things that are going on around me in this world. There's nobody who could ever serve God today. There's nobody perfect enough to do that. But we have to push all of those thoughts aside and say, God, what you have trusted me with 
the things that you have begun to speak to me with about these people, God, use it as an open door. Let that be the open door, God, that I can pray for this person. I, I want to pray with them and reach down into their lives. But God, give me the words to speak to them when they begin to open up about that. God, give me the grace to show them mercy and grace inside of those times when they begin to speak to me about the matters inside of their lives and the hurts that are there and the things that are going on inside of their life. We must be careful with what we do with information. It says that people so often take information that they have heard and they begin to pass it on, misrepresenting the original dialogue, and we have to be careful with that as well. Has anybody ever played the game of telephone where you begin to get a phrase at the beginning and it's passed down the line, and then at the end of the line it's something completely distorted and messed up and twisted and all over the place? Isn't it amazing how just a simple word through 10 people can get completely twisted and misrepresented? I, I bet if we played that game here tonight inside of this room, it, it, it would happen again. I, I thought that when I became an adult, maybe things wouldn't get so twisted and misrepresented and that sort of thing. But in fact, it almost becomes worse because as adults, we sometimes don't like to listen to one another as much as we should as we did when we were kids. So we have to be careful about these things that God has entrusted us with. So let me ask you a question tonight. Under what circumstances would it be prudent to reveal something that someone has told you in confidence? So if somebody tells you something in confidence, when would it be a good idea to reveal that to somebody else? Yes, brother. If they're suicidal. If they're suicidal, yes. Absolutely. Or danger to others? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that could be very true. And, and sometimes you, you're, you're careful with that. You know, you, you, you go to somebody who you trust, somebody who's uh, not maybe a leader, um, maybe a small group leader, somebody that you're not going to, or you trust isn't going to continue to grow that message or spread it beyond what's going on there. Yes, brother. Mm-hmm. Kind of much like what Misha was saying, but yeah. not just with godly things, like if they need help or something and you can't you don't know how to provide that help. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd be like, just go to you know, maybe like one of your leaders or just like a friend you trust, like you were saying, and like, hey, if I was in this situation, you know, how would I help you? how would how would I need help or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, because there, there's specialties in certain areas, and sometimes as pastors, we may not know everything about a situation. Uh, you know, I'm thankful for apostolic counselors. I'm thankful for apostolic marriage counselors. I'm thankful for apostolic doctors uh, in, in the world around us, and each of these people have specialties that sometimes, you know, I, I probably won't know why you have an infection inside of your body, so if you came to me asking for help on that, I'm probably going to say go to the doctor, you know? That's probably the best place to go with that. It's, it's a, a generalized example 
But absolutely, there are situations where we need to reveal these things, uh, especially if somebody might be suicidal or wanting to cause harm to others, because those can be uh, some, some very, very detrimental things, and, and they can uh, even cost lawsuits in, inside of our current world. So we have to be careful with well, how we handle some of those things in prayer in that, and I would encourage you with any of that sort of stuff that if you're confused or you need help or a recommendation to contact our pastor and say, hey, I don't know what to do with this situation, but it's something that, that I, I need to, to reference or I need, I need your reference. What should I do? Should I refer them to you or begin to, to, to push them forward uh, onto somebody else? And so you can see uh, what you can do inside of some of those situations. So first of all, inside of some of the situations, we cannot forget the grace we have received ourselves. Ephesians 4 talks about maturity in the body of Christ, and the need to help someone will rarely come at a convenient time inside of your life. Has anybody ever had that midnight call or maybe the midday call when you're busy doing something else or, or the, those phone calls at that particular time when you're just like, man, right now is not a convenient time for me to begin to help somebody else? When you think about it, a lot of the times that somebody does call for help, it's at a time when it is not convenient for each of us. We see that a mature Christian adheres to the words of Jesus in Matthew 7 where he has told us not to judge others. And being mature and reserving judgment will allow us to demonstrate the grace that our Lord has shown us over time and has shown us time and time again. Matthew chapter 7, if you remember that scripture, it talks about this, that Jesus says, Judge not that ye be not judged. And he says, For with ju what judgment you judge, you will also be judged. And with what measure you measure, it shall be measured unto you again. He kind of goes down this list of parables that says that whatever you decide to judge other people with, whatever standard you hold other people to, then you're also going to be held to that same standard. It's kind of a scary thought when you begin to think about how sometimes we've looked at other people and you've said, well, you know, that person's doing that. So, you know, it's horrible, yet we might try to sneak it around a back door and do it a different way over here. And still it's the same thing, yet we're trying to sneak it around. What God is telling us is that we must be careful with how we treat people um, and we must treat them the same way that we want to be treated. Childhood saying, treat others as you want to be treated. And it's really something that we begin to learn over time. I remember when I first became a police officer, as a rookie police officer, and I began to go out there and, man, I wanted to fight crime. So I thought that, you know, the bad guys were truly the bad guys and there were good guys and there was no gray area in between and you could easily separate the two distinctions. And so, man, you know, if they were going a half mile over the speed limit, I was going to find that person and give them a ticket or whatever it may be and go down this list as a rookie police officer. And then I realized that I kind of like to go a half mile over the speed limit as well. And maybe I was in some of those gray areas of, as well of maybe not just being a good person, but maybe a little bit more towards being a, a bad person as well. I'm not saying doing horrible things, but I'm saying that some of these things that I began to enforce, I realized that, man, people are human beings and they're going to make mistakes and there's going to be issues and needs inside of their lives that I need to reach first rather than having such a hard line in some of these particular circumstances. And that began to translate in how I, I spoke to people, how I ministered to people, that it wasn't my job to treat people treat people wrong for, for maybe the sin that they committed or to treat people wrong for something they did wrong inside of their household or their life. It wasn't my job as a minister to judge somebody for those things. 
but it was my job to come alongside them and say, yeah, what you did was wrong, and that was against Scripture. However, this is how we're going to get through it. This is the door that God is going to begin to open if you will repent, if you will step away from that. This is the direction that we need to go. It's the love that God has called us to. And again, you begin to see the liberty that that puts inside of your life if you're not just condemning person after person after person for the things that you're doing, but you come to your knees every morning and you say, God, I am a sinner just as much as everybody else in this world. I have sinned, God. Forgive me, Lord. Put your mercy and grace upon my life so that I can give it to somebody else inside of their life or their circumstance or their situation or what they're going through. I just had a gentleman today that while I was out at the fair, he was going down the list of all these things that he had done and this felony record that he had begun to equate and just all these different pieces. And he's just like, man, every day I have to come and I face this and they throw it in my face and it's just there and they, they just focus on me because of these things that I have done inside of my past over and over again. And he's just like, man, I don't know what to do about all of these things. And I, I stood there and I told him, man, you know what? I honestly don't really care about what your past has been these things that you have done throughout all of this time because I believe in something called forgiveness and I forgive you for the things that you have done but the biggest thing is you need God's forgiveness in your life for the things that you have done inside of your past it's not me to judge you or to put this upon your record or to look that up and judge you by what you have done in your past but it's up to me to say there is a future there is a place that God wants you to go a place that he wants you to stand with him and worship and have joy and peace it's up to me to begin to proclaim that to the people in this world and if God wants to condemn he's the one that can condemn but it's not up to me to pick and choose who God is going to condemn or save or who he's going to pull into pearly gates because of their decisions so how do you think that grace plays a role in helping others with their burdens how do you think grace plays a role in helping others with their burdens Yeah. And the minute I believe that and claim that in my life, then it applies to me. Mm. And I, I, so that gives me the ability really to uh, overcome and, and, and share more burdens. Say, if the, if the Lord's willing to take those, then maybe every day I can go to Him and, and give Him those burdens that, I, that were heavy in my heart. And some days that I have burdens that they, I thought were gone, and then they kind of come back. Well, I know I have confidence now that I can give those again to the Lord, and that He can then give me peace, and I can continue on that path. Wow. I love that. Yeah, grace period that we have right now. It, it, it is a true grace period where God is allowing us to live here and choose to serve him or not serve him. I, I love that. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Sister Jeannie, did you have something else? Yeah, 
Yeah, it gives you hope. Mm -hmm. There's a chance. There's a possibility. Amen. Anybody else? I know the, these have just been some. Yes, brother. Testimony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it does. That God showed me grace, and I've done all these things here, yet it, it's continuing forward. We see the essentiality of grace in everything that we do and what we proclaim to people and what we show in this world around us. So only when we lose love and, let's see, only when we love and forgive one another can we truly be willing to carry each other's burdens. It says that love is the greatest motivator, as we learned in the beginning of this. The Bible also tells us that love covers a multitude of sins, and Jesus has commanded us to love each other as he loves us. When you think about how much he truly loves us, then it becomes a huge thing before you say, man, I have a lot further to go to begin to love people around me. Sometimes our emotions can begin to get in the way of that. How many times have we been hurt and we walk away from that and we begin to say, man, I, I don't even want to talk to that person. I don't even like them. They, they, they don't even need to come to church. I'd rather they not come to church. I don't like them anymore. And we go down the list of all these things about this person. Yet when we begin to speak about the love of Jesus and how he forgives, then we begin to realize that, man, that was the wrong approach to take, but I need to begin to pray for this person that their soul would be saved as well and that God forgives them and their needs and their desires in those places as well. And so forgiveness is really the truest test of love. It's really thing that will show us whether or not we are loving people and it's really the thing that will begin to allow us to demonstrate in our lives whether or not we have love not only in the church but also outside of the church as well and so I'm not going to have you answer this question due to sake of time tonight but how do we know when we have actually forgiven somebody it's this that once we forgive we will experience peace that's not only about what has happened but we will also experience peace towards the individual as well. When we have truly forgiven, we'll experience peace about the situation, but also peace towards that person who offended us as well. It's not necessarily that you will become best friends and hug it out and weep and cry and all these great things, but you will at least begin to experience peace about that individual who did that, that you will be in a place where you don't just want to walk out the doors and kill them immediately, that you see them for the things that they have wronged you with or wronged you for. And I know I'm speaking to a group of people here tonight that you may have faced some incredible monumental situations inside of your life. But let me tell you, I have heard testimony after testimony of people who were brutally abused as children or people who just were in these horrible, horrible situations, yet they were able to stand and say, I forgive those who once did that to me. And I am willing to face them and say, you need Jesus just as much as anybody else inside of this world. And so if they can begin to do that, then I believe that anybody inside of this room here tonight that you can forgive and you can have peace about the situation that has been haunting you for far too long. And so as humans, we see this, that we can become weary from our efforts in loving and serving others. We must know again that the call for help is never going to come at a convenient time inside of our lives. It's never going to come at the time that we desire it to come. But ultimately, it's going to be there. 
And in those moments, we should call out to God for strength and anointing in order to have the endurance for the task ahead. Whenever we reach out for God, he will pour his spirit upon us, and that will be the strength, the the encouragement, the power that we need to impact somebody else's life with what we have for us. Part of carrying the burdens of others, let's see here, part of carrying the burdens of others is helping to build up those that we seek to assist. Part of helping or carrying the burdens of others is helping to build up those who we seek to assist. This is not achieved with vain words or empty promises. Has anybody heard the phrase that talk is cheap? Talk is cheap. Meaning that what we talk or what we say, it doesn't hold value unless we begin to do something about it. We do not need to add onto the situation by preaching at people about their failures and telling them how they have done wrong, but we should encourage them not only with words, but also through actions of respect, that you can recover from this. I will pray with you at the altar inside a church. I I will encourage you to get closer to God. I will give you a Bible. I will teach you a Bible study if you so desire. I'll speak to you about the things that God wants. And it's not throwing these things inside of their face, but it's willing to offer the grace that Jesus has once offered unto us to the people around us inside of these situations. We see that affirming people is not the same as condoning their actions. Affirmation should be used to build them up again, reminding them that this is the journey of life. And it's not about our mistakes, but also about our resilience and persistence in leaning on God's grace to get us through. I am so thankful for his grace and his mercy for every single one of us. That as Pastor Carnahan has said, that man, if we make a mistake, we kick it in reverse, we get back on the path and we begin to go where we know that God is at. We go down to those places that God has required us. We go back to those altars that he once had us build inside of our lives of repentance and reading his word and seeking his face. And when we are lost, we can come back and find him in those times. And it's only through his grace that we are able to do that over and over and over again we also see that individuals who have fallen are likely in the process of self-condemnation and they need us to be their voices of reason rather than another voice that is condemning them inside of their life for the things that they have done wrong Did you ever hear the stories inside of high school that a lot of times the students who are bullying others and having issues with others is because they themselves have an insecurity inside of their life that causes them to have issues with other children? That they themselves have something that needs worked on in their life so much so that they're insecure about it, they begin to mistreat others around them. And so if you begin to come in and and absolutely condemn somebody inside of one of those circumstances, you may have to make them aware of what they're doing and tell them, yeah, this is absolutely wrong. But you also need to begin to look for something that is a deep hurt inside of their lives and say, I know that you're doing these things and there's a problem here, but really what is the true issue here? What's the reason for this? Why are you going through these things to hurt and to harm others? And if you are willing to do that, you may just happen to save somebody's life. We see that distancing ourselves from people that we sense are having trouble is not what God has called us to do. 
but he has called us to love them as he loved us. He has called us to reach out to them and tell them there is success that they can have inside of their lives, that there is a place that they can go to be restored and renewed in who he is, that there's a place where they can be delivered from all that that has been behind them, and we can push it behind ourselves and become brand new in Jesus Christ through his burial and who he is. Not only that, but we should begin to follow up with those individuals who have had issues or problems inside of their lives, to call them the next morning and say, hey, I know you went through this yesterday. How are you doing today? And when they say, oh, I'm good, we say, no, really, how are you doing today? I want to know, not just good, but, but truly, what are you thinking? What's going through your head? How are you feeling today? I want to know what's going on inside of your life. And if you will do that, then that will open so many doors. That person right there immediately will begin to say, man, I'm drawn towards this person inside of that apostolic church. I'm drawn towards what they can do. And I, even if you just call somebody and ask them how they're doing that next day, it will be a drawing force into the church and a drawing force closer to Jesus. We must begin to work towards loving others. We see that no t substitute is going to exist for a caring ear that listens. Men, have you ever heard the phrase that you need to just listen to your wife and not say anything back before? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Nobody's raising their hand because nobody wants to admit it tonight here. I, I just began to proclaim that. I mean, there's a, a commercial out there where the, the wife has the nail in the head and the, the husband's like, but it's the nail in your forehead. And she's like, but my head just hurts. My head just hurts. And he's like, but it's the nail in your forehead. And she's like, I don't want to know about the nail. My head just hurts and I just want you to listen to me that my head hurts. And it's an interesting idea there. However, we must begin to realize that there's no substitute that exists for a caring ear that listens. Clinical chaplains are trained in the ministry of presence. Being present does not mean talking in some of these circumstances. Most hurting people are not interested in our opinion, nor are they asking us to solve their problems. But a lot of times they just need an ear to hear what they are going through. And that's what will begin putting their mind on the path of restoration. This author says that active listening involves being neutral and non-judgmental. Having periods of silence, providing verbal and nonverbal feedback to show that you are listening. For example, smiling, eye contact, leaning in, mirroring what they are doing, and asking for clarification, reflecting back on what is being said. And if you will do those things, you will again form that connection with somebody that will begin to draw them closer to a potential Bible study inside of their lives. Or even inside of the church building here, it will be the thing that might draw that person closer to restoration rather than push them away and say, I don't think they're listening or working with this. What this begins to reveal to us is that you don't have to have a doctrinal degree inside of the Bible and all the answers in the world of what the Bible says and all the scriptures memorized in order to be able to help somebody through their problems. But what you must just simply do is listen to what they're going through. Hear them out. And if they do need help beyond that, then you'll begin to sense that inside of their life. But if they don't, maybe they just need an ear to hear about their particular circumstance or what they're going through because they're struggling with it inside of their lives. And if you are that ear that's willing to listen to them, you can be a savior to them, showing them the true savior and what he can do inside of their lives. Through active listening, we are not trying to figure out how we are going to respond 
but rather we are trying to better understand what the person is saying. It's a powerful point when you begin to think about that, that we're not trying to figure out how we're going to respond or what we're going to give them back or what we're going to say to them at the end of this thing. We're just trying to be there to hear what they are saying. When we better understand where someone is emotionally, then we can be more emphatic towards their situation. And once we understand the whole situation, we can begin to offer up words of encouragement. But believe me, if you don't understand the whole circumstance, it's going to be very difficult to begin to present scripture to them and tell them about what Jesus can do inside of their lives if you don't even know is there if you cut them off before they get to the end of their story or those sort of things and sometimes people ramble and you do have to do that however there's other times that people just need an ear to hear what is going on inside of their lives first john 3:18 says this my little children let us not love in word neither in tongue but in deed and in truth let us not love in word what we say to people saying i love you I appreciate you and that sort of thing. But let us love in word. Let, let, or sorry, let's not, not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. If you're in a relationship here, you understand the importance of that. If, when you say, I appreciate you or I love you, those words mean nothing unless you begin to do something about it. The extra phone calls, the dinners, all those different pieces that you begin to invest in somebody to show them that you love them. It's the same thing with somebody who might be in a critical situation that we need to love. That saying, I love you, I'm behind you is one thing. But when we begin to call them the next morning and encourage them or begin to speak to them on a, uh, during church service and ask them again how their life has been after going through that situation, it's what begins to change and challenge them and encourage them to go beyond what has happened there deeds truly hold more weight than words we speak some say that in crucial moments the if the words do not come that it's god's way of saying to be silent but let me tell you the story of this man here it says that during a grief class a man told of losing a child at a young age when it was time for the funeral, the room was filled to capacity with people from his work and church combined. Sadly, he went on to say that the co-workers were more consoling than the church members. He said many of the church members trying to offer various scriptures or words intended to help hold deep meaning inside of the situation, but it made him outraged to the point of wanting to scream. At times, words are simply not needed, but instead, we must be the word to the people whom we are ministering. We become this word active inside of that situation. God's spirit can speak to and console the hurting through someone who chooses to love in silence. Our actions can speak a lot louder than our words can speak in certain situations. The scripture again reminds us that to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. There's a time to keep silent and a time to speak. The man in the grief class went on to say that a hug or a tightly grasped hand in that moment held more gravity than mere words in what he was going through. I know that scripture does not return void, so we should always be willing to offer that up. However, sometimes we need to offer it through loving somebody else, a handshake, a hug, whatever it may be. I hope tonight that this has encouraged you to maybe go and love somebody else to maybe help somebody through their situation, not by gossiping or telling other people, but by seeking them out and, and seeing what God sees inside of this world. 
if you pray for this world and your coworkers and the people around you and you say, God, show me somebody who is hurting, believe me, he will begin to reveal that to you, but only if he can trust that you're going to hold that dear to your heart and not use it to begin to bash somebody over, your, over their head with what they are going through. But if you will begin to pray that, then God will begin to reveal people that are hurting inside of your world and you will be able to have the confidence to minister to those people when that time comes. I know that God gives you that authority and that in this place it is here tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. says this to conclude this tonight, that an old fable about long spoons will help illustrate how working together will help us endure the trials of life. Two groups of people were shipwrecked on two separate deserted islands. Part of the cargo that they were able to recover contained some enormous spoons. These spoons were not the kind that you would find on a dinner table somewhere. These were very, very long, so people could not feed themselves with them. As the days went by, people became ill because of eating with dirty hands. There were no practical uses for the spoons, only the resentment that these defective utensils had managed to survive the wreckage. The members of the first group began to work closely together, discovering that each person in the group had a different ability that provided useful to everyone's survival and the quality of life. The second group constantly fought among themselves, being critical about any idea that somebody would offer. Have you ever worked with somebody like that before? One day, someone in the first group saw a lady who was too sick to feed herself. He took one of the long spoons and began to feed her. The, other quick, the others quickly caught on and realized that they could use the spoons to feed each other in a more sanitary fashion. After a few days, the sickness of the first group began to dissipate. Unfortunately, the people in the second group never worked together, and they slowly began to die off until no one was left alive. The first group grew stronger and began to thrive until one day they were rescued from the island and taken home. The story illustrates how working together and bearing each other's burdens builds the group up and the group thrives. When we fail to work together, we isolate ourselves. The group will deteriorate and wither away. We are on this planet like the first group on the island, working together and lifting each other up until our rescue will come. Paul said it best, to bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And if we are willing to do that and help one another, then we all will begin to march on the streets of gold as we go to heaven on that glorious day. In Jesus' name. Can we stand here tonight and let that be our prayer that God would begin to reveal the hurting to us and that we would take that in the right way and begin to allow God to minister through us in Jesus' name. God